My name is Sean Jones. I'm one of the pastors here at Desert Springs. So good morning. Welcome to church. If you are watching online or if you are here with me today, we are going to be in John 15. So you can turn your Bibles or your phones, get to the scriptures. That's where we will be reading from today. And you know, I've just been reminded, even as we just sang these things over the past few weeks, that God is good. And I, I don't know about you, but I've been really busy. And I'm just reminded that in those times of busyness, we can't forget to sit at the feet of Jesus, to be engaging with him, to be able to be in the word. That's our personal time with God. And that's where he can remind us of those truths that maybe we've kind of forgotten. Maybe we've gotten distracted from. But I know in my life over the past few weeks, it's been good to be reminded of those things. And God said, let us make man in our image. And here's one of the things that I've been reminded of is that all of humanity is a part of God's creation. And I know that there's a strong voice. I know that there are people in the world that say there is no God, there is no creator, and therefore as creation, we are not under his rule and we are not under his order. In fact, there are many in our culture, for sure, that have forgotten that God is meant to be worshiped. But we know better. We know that he's worthy of our hearts and for us to stand in awe of his goodness, of his greatness. For those of us who know God and have that relationship, that makes sense. But for those who are far from him or worship themselves, they'd rather do that. But here's the thing. As disciples, as people of God, we were meant for a purpose. God had a plan. And long before he ever breathed life into the nostrils of Adam to create man and woman, he had desires and he had a plan that we would live and experience life according to his purposes, according to the things that he desires in a way that he has made. Now, I know that that's not always easy. I know that sometimes there's a struggle in that. But the point I'm trying to make is as his creation, we were created to obey. We were created to experience him in the way that he designed, not in the way that we choose. We are not in control. We are not those people. Creation was meant not to perish, but to be fruitful and multiply. And as his disciples, we were created, we were made specifically to flourish. And that's what I want to talk about today. A life of flourishing is a life where we experience supernatural joy. It's a life where we are lovingly serving Jesus. And most importantly, a, a flourishing life is a life where we influence not only ourselves, but others for eternity. That's the kind of life that God has designed for his people. And as disciples of King Jesus, we are becoming like him. He's king. He says, follow. We are being formed into his image. And I know even the best of followers, some of you are in here, we sometimes have a problem obeying, don't we? It's not always our first choice. But here's the thing, we can't continue to be rebels at heart. That doesn't work out. It doesn't work out well. And King Jesus is going to get our attention. And he's going to help us to get back on track. There's too much at stake, guys. As his followers, we need to surrender to his power and his lordship over our lives so that we can experience what we were designed to do. And throughout Jesus' time, he walked with his disciples and he taught them and he transformed them to become the kind of people that he could hand over the mission to. Do you guys see that? When you look into the scriptures, he raised these ordinary men, untrained, uneducated, to spend time with him so that at the right time, he could hand over the baton. 
and say, go, make disciples. And nothing's changed. Here we are because of their faithfulness, because of their obedience, we are following Jesus too. And today, we're going to look at a picture. Sometimes when Jesus taught, when he would transform people, he used illustrations to help us to better understand that message that he was trying to get across. And we're going to talk about that illustration of the vine and the branches. And here's one thing that I want to point out is in chapters 13 through 17, okay, in John, there are some things happening, but this is covering that fateful night that Jesus was arrested, that he was taken away. And in John 13, some things are happening. This is where Jesus is having supper with the disciples, and Jesus gets up and interrupts supper before the the Passover celebration, and he decides to wash his disciples' feet. He also goes on during supper to pass that bread, which revealed who would betray him. He made it clear that Judas would betray them. And Judas gets up, and he leaves. He's no longer with the group when we look in John 15. Judas is gone. In John 14, Jesus talks about the role of the Spirit. He talks about what love is like. He defines it so that the disciples can better understand. But the thing I really want to point out to us as we move into John 15 is that this is a passage about the life of a follower, about the life of a disciple, what that should look like. This picture is helping us to see the life of a disciple, that flourishing life. So as we open up the scriptures here, John 15, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. I'll read if you will follow along. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father was glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Disciples are made to flourish. There's a couple things I just want to make sure I point out here real quick. First, once again, this passage is not about how to be saved. It is not a passage that tells you what you need to do, though there are elements of that in here or describing who is saved or who isn't saved. It is a passage about disciples, followers of Jesus. Second, I have to confess, I know nothing about horticulture. I am not a vine grower, okay? So you guys can understand that when I talk about plants. This is the kind of plants I have. You might understand. In my backyard, I have bushes and I have some trees, and I do have a couple of vines, so that's nice. I've never trimmed my vine one time, okay? I just put it up on the wall and let it grow, and it does what it does, and one's dead, so I messed up somehow. Okay, one of the vines died, but I want to make it clear to you, I don't really know the first thing about growing a grapevine. I'm not a farmer or any of that, so can you guys bear with me? I hope that you guys can relate, especially living in the desert. Some of the things that Jesus is talking about, it made sense. Like, the disciples were like, I know grapes, and I know what grapes make, and I like it, okay? But 
they don't necessarily, uh, we don't necessarily understand the illustrations all the time, okay? But here in verse 1, Jesus is really revealing who he is talking about. He is identifying some people, verse 1 and 2. He's talking about a vine. He's talking about the vine dresser and branches. Jesus is the true vine. And he says this because I believe in the Old Testament, Israel was referred to as the vine. This was the vine of God that received the, the things that he lavished out upon them. But unfortunately, Israel did not live up to the expectations. They actually produced rotten fruit. They did not do what God wanted them to do. So here comes Jesus, the true representation of Israel, who will live up to all that was expected of Israel. I am the true vine, Jesus says. He will not fail. He will not produce any rotten fruit. And that's important for us to understand. The vine dresser here is talking about the Father. I've never used the word vine dresser in my entire life, except in this scripture, okay? And a vine dresser is the gardener, all right? It's, it's uh, the person who's going to protect the vine, who's going to take care of that plant. That's God's role. He's going to make sure that it's doing what it's supposed to do. He's going to keep it healthy, all right? And then the branches, we, we, we find out a little bit later, but he's referring to people, okay? He's referring to people that are connected to him or not connected to him, so on and so forth. But one thing I want to point out here is that God is the pruner. The Father is the one who shapes and forms and helps that plant to produce fruit. Verse 2 can be troubling to some. It says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. So here I'm going to try and give you an illustration of growing a vine because you could read this and you could say, wait a second. If I'm a believer and I don't bear fruit, then what's that mean? I'm taken away. I'm removed. I lose my salvation. What's that mean? What does he mean by in me? And it's important when we look at Scripture that we don't try to come up with what we think or what we feel. We really want to know what Jesus meant when he said it. That's my goal. And I'd rather not come up with some elaborate definition. I just want to know the simple truths. Okay, so it can sound troubling to me, but here's the thing that uh, somebody who's better at understanding the way grapes are formed and those vines are made, they said that the, the, the Greek word there that is used for take away, ero, is a word that can mean to lift up, and when people talk about forming a vine, the idea here is that there are branches when the, when the, the vine, the trunk starts to produce branches, that some of those branches are laying out on the ground, and if you have a vine at home, do you just let your vine, you prop it up, you put it on a trellis, you put it uh, so it can, the branches can be formed up so that it can be cleaned off, so that it can receive the sunlight that it needs, so that it can produce fruit. So many commentators say that that would be a better translation of the, of the word versus take away. But one thing we do know, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in verse 6, is that if you're a believer in Jesus, you can't lose your salvation. And I want us to focus on the things that we know are true and the things that Jesus is saying versus trying to force this passage or illustration to mean something else. So it could mean that those branches that are in me, that are mine, that are, that are uh, connected to the vine, the Father is going to lift them up and prop them up and give them an opportunity to produce fruit. Clean them off, prune them, and that way they can produce more fruit. So we're going to move forward with that in mind, okay? So the, the purpose of this passage, though, remember, is about us producing fruit. So as his followers, sometimes God's going to prune. He's going to snip. He's going to cut some things off. Sometimes things are getting in the way, and God wants us to produce fruit because that's what we were made to do. 
We weren't made to sit and soak like Jesus, uh, like, uh, Jesus like Steve said last week, okay? Uh, and I, I have a friend that actually adds an extra word to that, sour. Sit, soak, sour. We're not meant to do that. We're meant to produce fruit that affects others and glorifies God, and we'll talk more about that. But pruning is a necessary thing to remove branches so that it can be more productive. We are meant to produce fruit, church. Here Jesus goes on and says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. I think this is important because it's a, it's, it almost sounds weird coming off of verse one and two where he's talking about, I'm the vine, okay, the father's a vine dresser, branches that don't abide in me takes away fruit, but then he makes a statement, you're already clean. And that may have something to do with what he previously said, the idea of being clean and what does Jesus mean by that? I think that that's important. Back in chapter 13, if we remember, Jesus is having a conversation at the dinner table and decides to get up and wash the disciples' feet. And we know Peter, he's a character. King Jesus is like bowing down to come down and uh, wash his feet. And Peter's like, I have nothing to do with that. Let's look at this verse here. I probably would feel the same way as Peter. Let me just be honest with you, okay? And I would feel weird. Like if I came to church and Pastor Steve was trying to wash my feet, that's strange. That's strange stuff, okay? Like there are churches that do that. You know, in the front row, you guys would be getting your feet washed and stuff. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I just say it's kind of weird. But to see the Lord of lords and king of kings, like that, no way. And Peter says, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash your feet, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Let's pause here for a second. Who wasn't clean? What's his name? Judas. Judas is still here at this point. Judas was not clean. He knew that Judas was going to betray him. And I want to make a point before we move on. Jesus still washed his feet. Judas had his feet literally cleaned by Jesus. What a demonstration of love. Not only for his disciples to follow and to be an example to them, but also to someone who would betray him, would turn him over, an enemy per se. God is known for loving his enemies and he's called us to do the same thing and I love that I love that he's given us these intimate pictures Judas is not clean did the disciples know that church did the disciples know that Judas was the unclean one no if you remember at dinner when Jesus started talking about it and said one of you will betray what did everyone start doing is it me am I the one Peter's telling John he's sitting there leaning on Jesus bosom hey find out who he's talking about you know Nobody knew. Why didn't they know Judas was the one? I mean, he's not a believer. Why didn't they know? Because he looked just like them. And that's a problem. But Jesus was clear about that. There'll be wheat and tares. There'll be non-believers and believers mixed up. And in the end, those things will be separated. Judas needed to be washed but the disciples had already been cleaned by his word. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And I think that that's important for us to make sure that we understand. He didn't stand out in a crowd. He looked just like the others. We need to be washed by Jesus or we have no part in him. No forgiveness, no relationship, no eternal life. We must believe Jesus and act on his words. 
That's what's important here. Until we respond in faith, we're not clean. I want to tell you, this last Wednesday, we went out to Go Night. Go Night is a time where we go out to the park first Wednesdays of the month to be able to intentionally share the gospel with people. And my team, uh, Tyler and Theo and I, we got to share the gospel with a lady named uh, Adalia. And to make a longer story short, we shared the gospel. She believed that there is a God. She believed that God was a merciful God. She also believed that she was going to go to heaven because she follows the commandments but isn't doing a good job. Um, so as we shared the gospel with her, she came to a clear understanding by the time we were done. It is not about following the commands. It is not about what I do. It's about trusting in what Jesus has done. She said that with her own mouth. She understood now that it was not about following the commandments. So I called her to believe. I said, Adalia, put your faith in Jesus. You need to trust in him. When are you going to do that? When are you going to get right with God? And she said, I don't know. That was it. Conversation was over. Gave her a track, encouraged her to take some time and to think about these things, and that if she believed it, then I don't understand why she's not trusting. Until you act on those words, you have nothing. And that's what I told her before she left. I just want to remind you that until you put your faith in Jesus, you do not have eternal life. You do not have forgiveness. So don't wait. Judas had all the information he needed. He was in the best place to make a decision for Christ, I think, but he chose not to. Unfortunately for him, we know what happened, but it's not too late for all of us. And my question for you is, are you clean? Branches are meant to produce fruit, to be connected to the vine. We're supposed to do these things. But if you're here today and you're not clean, that's what you need. You need Jesus. Are you just acting the part? Are you just like Judas? You show up and you're culturally, I like this. These people are nice. They're not as bad as the people I work with, so I just hang out with these church people. But you don't know Christ. You've got nothing. We can't do this. We've got to there's too much at stake we've got to understand that this life is about following christ and knowing him intimately so don't just show up and be that person be washed by the word be changed by him forever it's important that we understand that's what he desires for us jesus goes on to talk about how fruit is produced he says abide in me and i in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine so neither can you unless you abide in me i am the vine you are the branches he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I believe in these verses there's a key element to this conversation here. To abide is important that we understand this word. To remain, to stay close, to be connected. This word is important. And what I love about this passage and what I love about the, the whole uh, of scripture is that it's not about how hard we try to produce fruit because you get nothing that way. It's about the relationship we have, the actual surrendering to Jesus working through us. If we stay close and we remain close to him, then he in his power produces fruit. Remember I was talking about those plants and stuff? You know, I have some trees, a lemon tree and a orange tree in my backyard. And when I moved in, they were, they looked like they were dead. The guy never turned the water on. And I had them, you know, connect the pipe, turn the irrigation on. And those things produced fruit. Water's miraculous. Like, you connect these things to the right thing, man, stuff grows. 
we're in the desert, in case you guys didn't know. And now there's like lemons and all over, you know, oranges. And the, the trees remind me of me because they're like shaped all wonky, but, but there's still fruit, you know what I mean? So I uh, look at those trees and I remind myself of me. So when we look at this, it's important that we understand that to produce fruit, we just, we got to be close to God. Does that make sense? Are you guys with me? We got to stay close. Let him, let the Holy Spirit that is indwelt in us work through us, change us to be who we're supposed to be. Fruit is not something that we produce to gain favor with God. Fruit is something that's produced because we have favor with God, because he already loves us. He already cares for us. Let's take a look at this verse. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Church, branches are designed to produce what? Fruit. And I think it's silly to be a disciple and not produce fruit. Because that's what you were designed to be, designed to do. It's our role. We have a responsibility, just like a branch has a responsibility. And as we stay connected to Jesus, he does it. And we're like, look at that fruit you produced, Jesus. Not look at how good I am or look at what I've done. That's why we say praise God when those kind of things happen because God's working through us. It's important for us to understand that God is shaping us to become like Jesus. Just like a grapevine is meant to produce grapes, disciples are meant to make disciples. We're meant to produce fruit. We are supposed to be walking and living according to our creative order. Remember, God's in charge. It's his way. It's his design. It's his purpose. We got to stop saying no. And just rest in him. Stay close to him. Abide in him. But this passage brings a lot of difficulties for people, so I want to talk about it briefly. There's a few um, interpretations that I'd like to point out, though there's probably a billion. Okay? But one thing that I hope you guys would agree with, once again, it's about what Jesus meant, not what I feel or what I, I wanted to say. That's appropriate scripture exegesis. Right? We're, we're interpreting the scriptures according to what God meant. So one of those interpretations here is that Christians have lost their salvation. We already talked about that, right? Church, can Christians lose their salvation? I got a few people. Thank you over here. You guys must be really producing fruit on this side, okay? <laughs> Trevor, can Christians lose their salvation? No. Thank you. I saw him over there, okay? We can't! I just like to take that off the table. I don't have to spend a bunch of time and go, well, can we, can we not, can we, can we not, can There are the simple things that Jesus already said, okay? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. He who believes in me has life. If you have a son, you have the life. If you don't have a son, you don't have the life. If you have Jesus as your savior, you have life eternal, forever, okay? You are adopted as his sons and daughters, not kicked out the house and the things ripped up. You're his, Okay? We sometimes are bad kids. We don't, we don't, my wife doesn't like that. Sometimes we do bad things as his children, okay? But it doesn't mean we're no longer his. We can't lose salvation, so I don't want to belabor this point. Let's just wipe that interpretation off the table. Another way that people interpret this is it's about a loss of rewards, a Christian's rewards, okay? And that would be great, but I feel like Jesus is talking about people here. He's not talking about the fruit that we produced, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. He doesn't say, if anyone does not produce fruit or produces rotten fruit, that fruit is inspected and then thrown away because it was no good. He's talking about people. 
But that can cause people a little bit of angst sometimes. But I don't think it's talking about rewards. Rewards are those things that God will give to us based on how we've lived our life, based on how we follow Jesus. In the end, he rewards us based on our service, our heart for him. And some of that fruit will be tested. And if it was not made in the right way, it will be burned up and we will have loss. But I believe Jesus is talking about people here. So another interpretation would be that professing Christians, it's about professing Christians who are not saved or believers or people who just aren't saved. They aren't a part of the vine. They're not branches connected. Can I throw this out there for you guys to contemplate? Who's not with them right now? Who left the group? Judas. Who wasn't clean? Judas. Who was not attached to the vine? Judas. Okay? Though he looked the part and maybe even cleaned the part, he was not attached to the vine. There's a promise that one day there'll be judgment. And Jesus is clear that there are wheat and tares and things will be separated and those will go to punishment and those will go to eternal life. I believe that Jesus is talking about those who meander and those who are around who look like a branch but unfortunately they're dead spiritually dead and until they come to know christ that's the way they will be be remain that's the way they will remain and in the end they'll be judged but one thing we know for certain about this it is not talking about us believers who aren't obeying being cast into the fire that's not for us okay guys let's move on If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. I love this, these four verses especially because we know that Jesus is about to hand over the mission to the disciples. He's always talking about what they need and what, what, what power they can have through him. And one thing that he points out here is prayer. If you abide in me, ask me for help. I'll help you. And sometimes we forget about that. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think I could just push through. I can just make it happen. I've been doing that the last few weeks. I get busy and I'm just like, hey, it's okay, I'll get through it. Uh, you know, like, just work hard, go to sleep, wake up, do it again. You can make it. And then I forget that I'm supposed to talk to God and ask him for help. But here he's telling them, ask me for help. As you begin to influence the world and make disciples, come to me, stay close to me, and ask me for help. And guess what I'm going to do? Help you, because I delight in answering those prayers. I want to help you. You're my children. I want to change you. I want to make you into someone who looks like me. So I don't want to miss that point here as we talk about bearing fruit and abiding that God says, ask me for help. So that means if your heart's not right, go home and ask for the shears. God, shape me, change me, make me into who I'm supposed to be. And it might hurt, but it's what's best so that you can produce fruit. Jesus goes on though and he talks about the idea of Abiding, He talks about being close again. He goes on and he talks about, though, this thing which I really love because it shows his heart. He says, prove to be my disciples. So my father is glorified when you produce much fruit. So prove to be my disciples. Don't sit on your butt and be lazy and do nothing and claim the name of Jesus and live completely hypocritical. 
walk in a way that represents your image. Bring the light into the world, not into the room. Take it out into the world. Be who I've designed you to be. It's important that we understand that. Let's talk about fruit. I like fruit. I don't know about you. And sometimes when I go to other countries and I eat their fruit, it always tastes better than our fruit. I don't know what the deal is. I'm not a farmer, but it's just the truth, all right? I've had the best mango in the Philippines that I was like, what is wrong with our country? Why can't we grow fruit like this? Maybe it's just the place we live, right? Okay? But my point here is fruit's good. It's an important thing. And as we abide, fruit gets produced. So as we stay close to God, he begins to work on us internally first. He's starting to change us. It says that we have a new heart and a new spirit and that we're being conformed to the image of Christ. So that means we're going to start getting things torn apart inside of us so that we become like him. And we think about that, we can be reminded of those fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know what, guys? I didn't memorize those things for years. And then one day I'm having this argument with my wife, and I'm downright kind of just being a jerk, and I left to have some time alone with the Lord, and I'm like, what's wrong? What do I need to do? And God just simply said, hey, uh, you ever memorize the fruits of the Spirit? Fruits of the Spirit? That's not what he said, okay, but that's what was, like, do you even know what you're supposed to be? Do you even know how you're supposed to act? And I'm going, well, like you, Jesus, yeah, but intentionally, what is it? And I was reading it, and it's the fruits of the Spirit came up, and I decided at that day that I would memorize those things so that I could be an image bearer. I could reflect the things that I'm supposed to be, that I could love my wife better, that I could have those qualities. So next time when I'm getting a little upset, I can stop and pray and say, God, what do I need right now? And he goes, you need some self-control, Sean. And I say, give me that self-control. Please, help me in this moment. God wants to answer those prayers. So if you don't know what you're supposed to look like, if you don't know what that fruit's supposed to be, well, spend a little time in the Word. Maybe memorize those things. But God wants to work on us internally. Let's look at this verse. I love it. Okay, I'm just going to read it. Maybe it'll come up. There it goes. All right. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people in his own possession, zealous for good deeds. When I read this, I see that I am not my own that I am Jesus, I am God's possession. And he has called me to deny ungodliness, to remove the things that are not reflective of him from my life. And as long as you abide in him, that's what God's gonna do. I hope that as you mature, it's less painful. But God's not worried about the pain, he's worried about the transformation. But ultimately, why? to redeem us so that we would be a people zealous for good deeds. We would care about producing fruit. When we produce fruit, these good works begin to come out of us, right? Internally, we've been changed, and now we begin to produce good works. We begin to do, do fruit, make fruit, whatever, that does things that glorify God. When we think about that, I love this verse, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. And 
glorify who? The Father. Not you. Like, oh, man, I love that guy, Chad. Oh, Michelle, oh, you guys are so nice and so sweet and blah, 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 okay? Like, no, we want them to, I want to know, like, that these guys, these guys know God and that, wow, man, who's this God? Steve uses this illustration. He talks about how we live our lives, and if we uh, identify with Jesus that one day, you know, a friend will be thinking of him versus us when they're in their last moments. He always talks about this illustration that, like, you know, if that friend goes down the road and I've loved him really well and all these things and... And, and he gets in a car accident, and there he is, bleeding out, last moments, on the road, that he would sit there and say, man, I sure wish I could be like Sean. He was a nice guy. We failed. We want them to think in those moments, I, I, better, I better find out who this Jesus is, that Jesus that Sean had been talking about. Who is this God? Because I don't think I'm going to make it. There's a port, a, a port, an important point here is that we have to reflect those things. And if we're too afraid to even identify, it's hard to let our good works glorify God. That's for sure. When we produce fruit, it demonstrates love to Jesus. In chapter 14, Jesus is talking about his love language. Let's look at it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. If you wanted to write a book about the sixth love language, it could be about this. God wants us to love him, to obey him. And the key thing about this, uh, last service, my friend Greg was telling me um, the way like words are formed, like English teachers know these things. I don't, I don't work that way, okay? But he makes this illustration, he says, it's like this. The street got wet when it rained. The street did nothing. When the rain fell, it made it wet. And here's the idea is we just focused on loving Jesus, fruit would be produced. Obedience would happen. And that fruit of obedience would begin to affect people and change people and change us. But we focus more on love versus trying to force some fruit, then we'll see something happen. Turn your hearts to Christ. Love him. Spend time with him. And lastly, when we produce fruit, it not only benefits us, but it benefits others. When we reflect the image of Christ, other people start to be changed too. I love this verse. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Church, when we live on mission, when we live the way we're supposed to, we show Jesus with our lives, and we share Jesus with our lips. We advance the kingdom of God by going and proclaiming the mercies, the excellencies of Christ. Do you see this word again? We are God's own possession. Remember I talked about the creative order? that we fall under his creative power and plan, we have been redeemed to go and proclaim his excellencies to the world. Church, when we don't produce fruit, it's bad news for us and for the world. And I'm not saying we're the cause of the downfall of the culture. But let's just be honest. When you remove the light from the darkness, what happens? It gets real dark. 
We are meant to abide in Jesus. I can't say it any more strongly than this. In order to be influential on the world, Jesus did not say turn inward and shine your light in a room. He said go into the world, into the darkness, bring your light and let it shine. Make trouble for the enemy. But love, like me, sometimes we don't reflect Jesus very well. But collectively, we are meant to look like Jesus act like Jesus and influence others like Jesus sometimes we are so fed up with evil and with the upside down ways of the world that make us just shake our head we get to this path where we have to make a decision we either get angry or we do something about it that would help and unfortunately, I've seen a reflection of the church that doesn't reflect Jesus lately, especially with the way the world is going. Our enemies are our enemies. And we are okay with saying that. We're okay with reflecting something that would not represent Jesus. If we were in that room in those moments when we we're angry, we would not wash Judas's feet. We would say, you're gonna betray me. Get out of here. I'm not washing your feet. Terrible. I hope that you just burn. Some of you might have even posted that stuff on Facebook. But it's time for us to change. Go home, abide in Jesus, and ask for the shears. Go get pruned and get that stuff off, and let's begin to engage the world to produce fruit so that it benefits them for eternity. Let's do it together while we abide in Jesus. I know evil is evil. Call it that. But Jesus died for them too, just like you. That's important. Lastly, when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we can begin to follow him. When we follow him and abide, that's when we experience supernatural joy. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. That's what Jesus wants. He cares about our joy too. When we abide and we stay close, we produce fruit, he gives us joy. When we do what he asks, we love him, and he feels it. He gives us joy. God is so good. But if you're here today, you can't have that joy if you don't know Jesus. Let me make it really clear to you. If you have not come to that place to be washed and cleansed by him, to be forgiven, if the word of God is something you have not accepted and you continue to stand in opposition, though you are here and you walk around and you look like the rest of us, today's the day that you need to receive Jesus if you have not come to a place of accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior then there's trouble coming there's a day when judgment will be here for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and God is clear that what we deserve for our sin is to be punished he actually says death for the wages of sin is death but God goes on in his great mercy and plan he says but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord and even though God is merciful and he doesn't want to punish us, he's a just God and therefore must punish sin. We stand in judgment until we act on God's word. God sent his son. Jesus stepped down from his throne. He lived a perfect life for one reason and that was to offer up forgiveness through his sacrifice. He suffered and died on the cross for our sins and he rose again and conquered death on the third day. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for the world. He died for us all so that we could have 
forgiveness that he's offering up to anyone who would put their faith and trust in him alone. But we got to see that we're just going through the motions, that we haven't actually been connected to the vine. We have no joy. We have no forgiveness. We have no relationship. And if you're here today, I'm imploring you, don't wait. Please don't be like a Dahlia and say, I'll get to it, maybe one of these days, because that moment is not guaranteed. Our life is like a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. God will forgive you. This is how you do it. Scriptures are clear. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Ask for forgiveness. He'll, he'll graft you into that vine. You will be a branch that can now produce fruit and experience the joy that he has for you. Disciples, followers of Jesus, we will experience this joy and what we were made to do as we engage with God, connect with others, and live on mission to multiply and advance the kingdom. That's what we're designed to do. That's what we're made to do. And that's what's best for us. So I implore you, whatever needs to happen, prune those things off and let's start producing fruit. <music>